0: sermon is from Grace City Church, located in DY, Sydney, Australia. If you'd like to know more about us, head to gracecitychurch.net. So here we are, story of Joseph, part two, from Genesis chapter 39. I'm not going to read the scripture at the beginning this time. What I'm going to do is... um, tell the story and then look at it a little bit later um, I didn't quite know whether I'd have a gap between these two sessions so at the beginning I was just going to review the first session and talk about those three wrong attitudes of favouritism jealousy and deception but then I, now I want to okay just go through those quick because it was only just before coffee break and even in Australia you can remember what happened before coffee break <laughs> can't you soak <laughs> <laughs> Joseph was taken to Egypt by these Ishmaelite traders and sold as a slave. He was sold to Potiphar, captain of the guard in Pharaoh's palace. That was a very important job. You know, still today, when there's more of a... uh, particularly people who have absolute authority and dictators and so on, they'll not really trust the regular army, so they have their own palace guard to protect them in case the regular army uh, came against them. And it would have been like that in Egypt as well, and so Potiphar would have been a very trusted man from Pharaoh because he was captain of the palace guard. They're the people that would have protected Pharaoh. So he was a very important man. God was with Joseph. He threw himself into working hard, and we'll come back to that in a moment when we look at prosperity. But God prospered him, and he'd had to work. He wouldn't have started in an important position. He, if you, when you, when you, when you, the first slave into a house would have had a very lowly position, doing the most menial tasks possible. But Joseph obviously showed himself faithful at every stage and gradually, even though it's only accomplished in one verse in this chapter, it would have taken some years for him to rise to a position of responsibility and because God was with him, he prospered and Potiphar came to trust him. The result was he put Joseph in charge of his whole household. Now, when it says his whole household, it doesn't just mean a small family. It would have been a large family business. Okay, Potiphar is an important guy, would have had many slaves, would have had an estate, and uh, Joseph was in charge of the lot. And as soon as Joseph was put in charge, everything prospered. Because, no, no, come to the, you're being very helpful going ahead, but, I I, I want to do it without the scripture at this stage. Okay, sorry. Okay, I'll come to that in a moment. Okay, I just want to tell the story and we'll look at the scriptures later. Is that okay? Thanks. (laughs) 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 What was funny about that? (laughs) (laughs) Father... Okay, okay. (laughs) The result was... Yeah, okay. So as soon as Joseph was put in charge, everything prospered because God was with Joseph at home and in the fields. And it says, Joseph was such a brilliant manager that Potiphar no longer had to worry about anything except what to eat and drink. In other words... He just had to live. What a life, eh? Just living where, Je- where Joseph took charge of everything. Now, Joseph, as well as being a brilliant administrator, was well-built and good-looking. His mother, Rachel, had been described similarly when Jacob, Joseph's father, had first seen her. It says, Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. So obviously, uh, Joseph got his good looks from his mother. Okay, my, my kids are the same, okay? <laughs> so they... <laughs> and, <laughs> and because he was young, single and good looking, Potiphar's wife began to take note of him. And suddenly, she approached this young single man and demanded, come to bed with me. Joseph refused, and he gave three good reasons for it. Number one, I'm trusted by my master. I will not betray a trust. It's a good one. Secondly, you're another man's wife. I will not violate that relationship. And thirdly, it would have been a sin against God. As we'll see, it's important to keep those three things all the time to protect us from sin which can easily beset us, whether it's sexual sin as here or any other form of sin. Remember, Paul writes when he's describing Old Testament narratives, these things were all written for us, who are those who inherit the end of the ages. Okay? We are in the time when God's kingdom is being spread across the earth. time Joseph was, le- was living, it was like a foreshadowing of that, but it wasn't the substance of it. Well, the Old Testament was a shadow of what's to come. The blessing that Joseph brought was a shadow of what's to come. We are those who now... Uh, live in the time when the kingdom is being spread. Therefore, we learn from the lessons, and that's why these Old Testament stories are in there for us, to help us live godly lives. But Potiphar's wife became insistent and spoke to him day after day. Joseph still refused to have sex with her and indeed, very wisely, made sure he was never alone in her company. One day, however, he just happened to go into the house, and none of the other servants happened to be there. She gripped him by his cloak, his outer garment, and tried to force him to have sex with her. He ran away, leaving his cloak in her hand. Her lust turned to hatred, often does her pride was hurt she decided to get gossip on her side and she called all the other servants and said this Hebrew why did she call him that? well you blame foreigners don't you? this Hebrew she didn't say the, the, the manager in charge of the whole estate she just Referred to him by what would have been his despised name. This foreigner, this person that's come into our country. Who he, that's her husband, brought into the house. So she blames the foreigner and she blames her husband. Tried to rape me, but I screamed and he ran away, leaving the evidence. So, the fact that everybody now knew about it, would have put pressure on Potiphar, even if he didn't believe her. Because everyone was gossiping about it. It's a very good enemy strategy. Get the gossip thing working. So, when her husband came home, she told him the same thing. He was angry, put Joseph in the palace prison, where the king's prisoners were imprisoned. Now, that was not the common prison. He wasn't put in the general prison. This is important. However, though this was totally unjust, God was with Joseph even in prison. You might think, if God was really with Joseph, he wouldn't let him go to prison. If God was really with me, we wouldn't go through this tough time. That's not what the scripture says. It says, God was with him in prison. And he gained favour with the prison governor because of his trustworthiness. And Joseph was given responsibility after a while for the management of the prison. God gave him success there. Now, that's the story of this chapter. Okay. He rose in prominence. Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. He wouldn't be seduced. She brought a false accusation against him. He was thrown into prison and prospered even in prison. What we're going to do now is read bits of the scripture, so this is your moment, okay? We... <laughs> <laughs> How many times has that been said to you? Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to look at this chapter under a number of headings. And firstly, success and prosperity. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. Now remember, God had intended to bless the world through this family. And this was like a foreshadowing of what God is doing now, blessing the world through this family. Joseph was an excellent example of this. Potiphar, his family and his business prospered. Even in the jail, Joseph was blessed. And later in the story, as we'll see, Egypt and all the other nations were blessed by Joseph's wisdom. So it's living out the destiny upon the family. Despite all the problems in the family, here was one man who was living out the family's destiny. Now, God's people are intended to enjoy blessing and become a blessing to others. And prosperity, not poverty, was the result. Now, we have to tread carefully on this one. But I'll come on in a moment to speak about a distortion of that truth. But generally speaking, God blesses and prospers his people. You mustn't make a general rule of it. You must never say if someone goes on hard times it's because of their lack of faith or because of their failure. But generally, God blesses his people. And generally speaking, when the gospel goes to a nation, it lifts people up, or into a community, it lifts people up and there's more prosperity. And you get that throughout Scripture. Because we're intended to enjoy the blessing of God and become a blessing to others. Now, the purpose of any prosperity and blessing is for us to bless. It's not for us to hoard. It's for us to bless. And the New Testament makes... Paul writes a lot about that. So at the moment, your your riches will be used to bless others, then in the future, their riches will be used to bless you. That's intended to be the way of God's people, so that there may be equality, it says. So we're here to bless the people of God, and we're here to bless the world. Ukraine, which is suffering so much at the moment, before all the current problems, 70% of the social action amongst the poor in Ukraine was done through the Evangelical Church. It's amazing. The Evangelical Church was a blessing to that nation. It was true of our churches. They were doing many, many things which were gaining them respect in the community, so much so that I had a message from uh, I just, just gone to sleep actually and I hadn't turned my phone off I got a message from Andre Bondarenko one Saturday evening he just said I've had a phone call from a very prominent person in the city saying the gunmen are now in charge of this city and if your church meets tomorrow morning the gunmen will go there people will likely lose their lives and others will be arrested so I advise you not to go not to meet. I don't know what you would do if you had a phone call like that Saturday night. Well, they didn't meet. Wisely decided not to. But he got warned. Why did he got warned? Because even though it's such a tough situation, and this guy said, Look, okay, although I'm he was ai won't say what he was but he was a particular high official he said the orders aren't from me the orders are from the separatist leaders your church is being marked out but he said I'm telling you why? because he knew that church had been a blessing to that city see what I mean? because it had been a blessing he warned them so that no one did get killed in that church These are the things people are living with. More recently, he's written to us saying that although they're refugees, the Communist Party, which is still there amongst some, but the Secretary of the Communist Party is risking her life by speaking up for the evangelicals, she said, because you are the ones that have brought blessing in the way of social action to this people. And when they fled as refugees to this other city, Mariupol, one of the things Andre said to me when we met recently, he said, he said, he said, it doesn't take long refugees to lose any sense of initiative. He said, we've got all these people who had got good jobs, who had, uh, were responsible people, took responsibility in the church, yet he said within a few weeks as refugees they lost any sense of taking initiative. And he said, I had to address that. So I went to the mayor of the new city we'd work, the city they'd fled to, say look we're here as refugees please give us some work to do for your city so we can bless your city. We don't expect to get paid for it. We're just so glad to be here as refugees. Will you please give us an opportunity to work? He said, I did that for two reasons, to bless the city, but also to make sure that the refugee community didn't lose initiative. That's wisdom, don't you? But, and they, that's what they did so, God intends his people to be a blessing and generally that brings prosperity, but it also goes through tough times, like happening in Ukraine at the moment. But in recent years, a false distortion of this has hit the Christian scene all over the world, which is a prosperity gospel. Now, we don't preach a prosperity gospel because that uh, is offering often false hope to people who are poor. The reason the Prosperity Gospel has had such an effect in Africa, for example, is because people think, well, if I give to this ministry, perhaps something good might happen. I, I may. It's almost like something else might give me good, good, good luck. You know, Previously, it would have been offering to my ancestors. That might bring me good luck. Now, if I give to this... Because it's just a Christian, in in, in that context, it's a Christianized form of what they're used to, which is a a false thing. But, but But it gives some hope to people in poverty. Maybe if I have faith, if I do this. But the trouble is, that has so distorted this message, and still does. And it's what people so often see of Christianity on television screens and so on. But then that can cause some of us to react against it in a wrong way and not expect the gospel to bring prosperity. Do you see what I mean? So we resist prosperity gospel. It's not you give and God will bless you in that sense. It's it's a gospel that that embraces the cross. It's not a gospel that says if I have faith, problems won't come into my life because that's not true. Joseph had plenty of faith and he had plenty of problems. But God still prospered him. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing the distinction? And it's an important one. Because scriptures like this do speak about the prosperity that the blessing of the people of God should bring. Does it mean everybody in the church is... No. God said you'll have the poor always with you. Yes. But but having the poor always with you gives you an opportunity to expend the blessing that God has generally given upon the community. And if not upon your individual community, upon your community worldwide, so there's always others you can bless. Here prosperity came because Joseph worked hard in difficult circumstances. It's not that he, because, I mean, with that terrible distortion of scripture, he sowed into the good soil of a particular ministry... but because he worked hard. And the people of God work hard. Don't they? Of course they do, because whenever they go to work, they say, I'm not really working for my boss, I'm working for Jesus here. And therefore, I want to work as hard as Jesus would want me to work. I want to do it excellently, I want to be the best person where I'm working, because I'm doing it for Jesus. So Joseph worked hard. Prosperity came because Joseph worked hard. Joseph was completely trustworthy. Are you that? Okay. So your boss says, "Well, at least I can rely on the Christians." Or do the Christians give up as much as the other people. Are you totally reliable? Prosperity came because Joseph was hard-working and reliable and because the hand of God was with him. Now it's not just that the hand of God was with him. You know, it's, it's not that God was with him therefore it doesn't matter how, what, how, what he did he would still prosper, no. God's hand was with him but he worked hard and proved himself a good manager. I remember, many of you will know Edward Burrier, who leads the New Frontiers Churches in Kenya. I was with him a few years ago. And he said, I'm doing a businessman seminar this afternoon. Would I like to go along? Because I'd been there teaching in other contexts. I said, yeah, I'd love to come and hear you at your business seminar. So I went to um, Edward's business seminar and I knew Edward, so I knew this would be fine. But As he began to talk, I thought, oh dear, I've heard the prosperity gospel in uh, Africa. And he gave all the scriptures that the prosperity gospel people give, you know. Not God's will that you should, it's God's will that you should prosper in my hand with you to prosper you and and so on. And he gave all these scriptures. I thought, yeah, that's what these other guys say. Then he started applying those scriptures. And I thought, wow, this is brilliant because it's giving the picture of prosperity, when you're working amongst uh, in those situations, you want to raise the vision to prosperity, but then he said, and this is how, and he gave lots of testimonies from business people. One person started, who now runs a huge business, started by walking behind donkeys, picking up the manure, and selling it for fuel. And the, the this person now has a massive business in that community. And I uh, ever said, see, God plans to bless you and prosper you. So therefore, go behind donkeys, pick up the mess. You understand? That's what Joseph was like. <laughs> Prepared to start at the bottom, work his way up. Another guy who gave a testimony, he's now the... Biggest supplier in that part of Kenya of dressed chickens because they hadn't generally had dressed chickens. You know, dressed chickens. I don't mean with clothes on. I mean, you know, when, uh, ones that are prepared rather than just wringing its neck when you get it home. These are ones that are prepared for you to to you use and. <laughs> I have to keep your attention somehow. And, uh, and he'd started literally by, with, you know, three or four chickens. Now it's a massive business, but he worked very hard. That was how prosperity came with Joseph. He was a slave, then he was in prison, but he brought prosperity by his diligence, reliability, and hard work. And that prosperity in a sense didn't bless him particularly, he was still a slave and in prison but it blessed all those around him that's the Christian prosperity so that's one thing this chapter teaches us the next thing it teaches us is how to handle sexual temptation with Joseph in charge he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, ''Come to bed with me.'' But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. ''Look,'' she said to them, ''This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed.'' And he heard me scream for help. He left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house.'' She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. This, he, that Hebrew slave you brought us came to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Okay. So Joseph was a young man a single young man with the sexual desires of a young man he was alone so much more vulnerable he was away from home so in that eastern culture no danger of shame before family and friends he was good looking and successful success can actually make you more vulnerable to such temptation it can lead to pride and a sense that nothing will go wrong success leads to pride you're saying we shouldn't have success no we should have success we should know how to handle success you know it's absolutely tragic in the christian scene in the west today how many anointed, greatly anointed men fall into sexual sin. Just over the last two or three weeks, I've read of more top leaders that fall into sexual sin. You might think, how can that be? I can understand how it can be. Success Without protection and, and accountability, leads to greater vulnerability, not less. Your very success causes both you to be desired and for you f- to feel you're invulnerable. You might say, well, that doesn't apply to many of us here because we're not that successful. But, but actually, yes, we can be successful within within particular spheres, and that very success makes you more open, not less open. He had a sexual relationship handed to him on a plate. Just offered. So how did he fight sexual temptation? Firstly, clear values, the integrity of being trusted. You know, being given trust is a helpful thing. Because I'm trusted, if I'm godly, I will be more careful because I'm trusted. You know, maturity is not being told what to do all the time. Maturity is being trusted and released, and therefore, wanting to live with integrity with that trust. So clear values, He respected marriage and covenant. You are his wife, he says. And indeed, when it's when he says, when it says, except Joseph had everything, was in charge of everything, so Potiphar only had to worry about the food he ate. That was probably a euphemism for all that Potiphar had to worry about was being with his wife. Do you mean that's probably what it meant? He was saying it nicely. Okay, so, and respecting covenant, so he was a single man, but he respected the covenant that an ungodly Egyptian had made with his wife. Because adultery, you know, people often say, well, I I fell in love. No, you didn't. Adultery is not love because of love. Love implies faithfulness and respect for the, the marriage relationship. And his other clear value was that he understood all sin was a sin against God. So he had clear values. And regularly, we need teaching on this in our churches. Now, I didn't come here to talk about how to protect yourself against sexual immorality, particularly, I came to teach the story of Joseph. One of the most important things the story of Joseph teaches is how to protect yourself against sexual immorality. Okay? And the, and the second way he did it was through clear boundaries. Now, you put boundaries around yourself. One of those boundaries can be Accountability. Because yeah? usually sexual sin doesn't start with the full-blown adultery. It starts with other things. It starts with flirtatious behavior. Or, it's, or, you, or you get undermined by what you look on, at on the internet. You know, now, even in, amongst, in Christian circles, the, pa- the, even though when I used to teach on this 20, 30 years ago, I would always get a lot of response whenever I taught it, on men who were indulging in pornography. But now with the internet, the percentage of that within the church has increased dramatically. Within the church, not just outside the church. And if you're looking at stuff you shouldn't look on the internet, you're not following Joseph's principle of clear boundaries. Okay, so clear boundaries involve accountability. Clear boundaries involve knowing what not to look at and not allowing yourself to be drawn in. It involves avoiding flirtatious behaviour, getting too friendly with women if you're a man or with men. After all, it was on this occasion, it wasn't the man initiating it, it was the woman. And because I am a man, I sometimes more address warnings against sexual sin against men, but actually Joseph maintained right barriers, but it was this woman, Potiphar's wife, who was the guilty party in this context. So it's something that applies to, to both men and women equally. He made sure he was not alone with her. That's sensible today, wherever possible. It's not always possible in a secular sphere. Some of you are in jobs where that's unavoidable. If that's the case, then make sure there's clear boundaries in other ways. Make sure that conversations don't go in certain directions. But in church life, you can do those clear boundaries. So... I would never, obviously, counsel a woman on my own. Never. I'm very strict on that. And thirdly, he ran. <laughs> Sometimes that's the best policy. <coughs> Timothy, uh, Paul says to Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth, run from them, be drastic. And once many, many years ago, when I was still in um, banking in secular employment, I was in another country. And I just picked up what I thought was a harmless paperback at the airport. And I started because I just wanted something light to read because I was doing a lot of tough work. So, and then, then I realized after I got through a few chapters in that it wasn't a particularly suitable one. So I didn't sort of just say, okay, I'll just read a few more pages. Just just a few more. I remember I was staying in in Algeria, and I was staying in this hotel, which I was in a massive room. There's actually no need for it to be such a massive room, because there's only a bed and something, but uh, the room was massive. And I remember getting hold of this book and throwing it right over to the other side of the room, and I never picked it up again the whole stay I was there. Because... I knew... Had to be drastic because if you indulge your mind a little bit, you're not doing the clear and careful boundaries. And I want to exhort you, men and women here, be careful, follow these principles. What I'll do is just cover the last, the next thing, and then my final one, I'll deal with tomorrow because I know I won't give time for the baptism. Then there was reaction, okay? Victor Hugo wrote, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, okay? And people suspect he may well have had Potiphar's wife in mind when he wrote those words. (laughs) And she, like Jezebel later, reacted with total anger. And this reaction can come from being scorned in this context but it can come from being overlooked in others I've sometimes had fury directed at me for something that yeah I hadn't done I don't mean in a sexual context just in trying to lead a church sometimes you get people furious because for in some way they haven't got their own way it's powerful stuff and we need to know how to stand up to it john the baptist elijah all had to face the equivalent of jezebel as did as did joseph here she brought in the other the other servants for three reasons i believe Firstly, in a shame culture, I don't know if you know, there's not time to explain it, but Eastern culture is a shame culture, whereas Western culture is a guilt culture. Um, Eastern culture is honor shame, Western culture is law guilt, and the Bible deals with both of them, but particularly it's more Eastern than Western. And in a shame culture, the fact that other people knew about it meant that Potiphar had to act, even if he didn't really believe what his wife was saying. He had to act because otherwise he'd have been put to shame. And that's being shamed is far worse than being found guilty in a shame culture. Causing gossip can be a way of revenge. And that still goes on for all sorts of things. People get cross, they cause gossip. It also, there's an idea uh, that what wouldn't have been around at this time, but there's a very false English language proverb that says there's no smoke without fire. There's often smoke without fire. Okay? Go to a rock concert, you get plenty of smoke without fire. Okay? So, (laughs) and, you know, so people make false accusations, and then everyone says, ah, yes, but there's no smoke without fire. Yes, there is. It was a false accusation. But all those sort of concepts would have been uh, common for... Sorry, all those those circumstances would have been involved in this situation. This next section only take two minutes. I think I will do it. Is that all right? Have I got ten minutes? Okay. Okay, sorry, I'm just... I'm I'm a man under authority, you know, if people say finish by a certain time, I always like to do that. Okay, so... Watch angry reaction and learn how to stand up against it. And be careful yourself if not getting your own way causes angry reaction. I say it may not be over a sexual thing, it can be over all sorts of things. But God is still training Joseph for his calling. It says, While Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was a Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, why was, he, why was he there? Notice he was not in the common prison, as I said earlier. He was in the place where the king's prisoners were kept. In other words, it was the place... It was nothing like as bad as the common prison. It was the place where, as we'll see next time, people could still keep their positions in some way, it was often where people were for a time just to make, teach them a lesson until they got restored to their position. Why do you think Potiphar put him there? Normally, attempted rape of your master's wife would be punishable by death in that culture. You I can mean, imagine it, can't you? And yet he was actually put in a privileged prison. That suggests that Potiphar never really believed the story at all. (laughs) Otherwise, he'd have had him executed or, at the worst, put him in the common prison. But he was there under God's plan in the palace prison in order for him later, because God ordains all these things later, to be close to people of influence, which would, in the end... Be what bring, brought him out of prison? It enabled Joseph to grow in the management gifts he needed in the future. Could I just say, management gifts are a tremendous blessing? Churches need good management, they need good teaching. They need good worship. They need good pastoral care. They also need good management. And all are to be honoured. Joseph here was being trained to be a great manager because God was going to use that in the whole of the land of Egypt. We honour management gifts. Both within churches and we say... People who are great managers in the world who are part of our churches are to be very much honoured and supported in what they do. Even if they don't have much time to do as much in the church as they could otherwise. Because we are kingdom people. And the kingdom of God is bigger than the church. The kingdom of God is wherever the rule of God is taken into this world. Okay? And so it's great that people like Joseph can be good managers. Now please, I'm not despising other gifts by saying that, but I'm saying this because it's it's very important for us to realise that. God wants us as churches to be able to provide a place of blessing, support and encouragement for people who have big responsibilities in the world. That's part of our calling as a church. And we want people to be blessed in their jobs and get more responsibility. It does bring challenges, you know, like work-life balance, work-life church balance. All those are difficult issues that come up and you do have to learn. I remember when I was a senior manager in banking, I used to have to make some decisions sometimes because I was also leading a church at the time. So sometimes I had to make difficult decisions. But I worked hard, worked long hours, was traveling all around the world, and that was of God. To understand, later he called me to give it up and serve full time in the church. For me, oh, for us, it was a difficult decision Because, as far as I was concerned, I was equally serving the kingdom, whether I was having a big position in the world, or a small position leading a tiny little church. And so, that was a difficult decision which to go for, because both were equally kingdom. It came down to, in the end, a specific calling. Not that one was better than the other, but a specific calling to... For, for us, that I should give up my job and serve in, as I say, what was in a small church in a small town in England, in a small country. Uh, I always like to remember my remind my fellow compatriots that we just live in a very tiny island. Okay. <laughs> it's always good for them to hear that. <laughs> and so... <laughs> And so that was equally kingdom. And so the choice, or rather, was according to calling, not according to kingdom. Kingdom would have been worked out in both. And Joseph here was being enabled to grow in the management gifts he needed in the future. And also how he coped with injustice for a second time. First time when he was sold as a slave, second time when he was put in prison, helped build his character for the future. Coping with injustice builds character.